You're listening to Strong Asian Lead, the podcast for Asian Americans in film, television, and streaming. I'm your host, Masami Moria. In this podcast, we hold candid discussions about the entertainment industry from the Asian American perspective and host interviews with the trailblazing Asian Americans who made the industry what it is today. This week, we're publishing an interview I had with Ashwini Prasad in July of 2021. Yes, it's been over a year since we had this conversation, but I still think it's relevant. Ashwini is a screenwriter, host of the podcast Inclusive Storytelling, and author of the book How to Write Inclusively. Here's the interview we recorded last year. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and and we've you know we you and I have talked for weeks. I don't know when we when did we meet? Like November, December on Clubhouse? Yeah, yeah, it's been a while, several months now for sure. Somewhere early in the process, and I, I just remember. You know, I don't remember exactly what the conversation was, but every time we had, had done Clubhouse Room together, whether a small or big one, it always had really great insights to inclusivity and, and and just the way the world can kind of be in a new place. But I would love for uh, you to tell us a little more about yourself and what you're working on. Hi, everybody. I am Ashwini Prasad. I uh, grew up in, in Vancouver, BC, uh, Calgary, Alberta, and I've spent uh, a lot of time on the Pacific West Coast in the United States as well. I consider myself uh, Fijian, Indian, and North American. And I am also uh, the inclusive screenwriter. And so what that means is that I uh, really try to bring inclusivity into all of my works, also be a critical eye in terms of what I see in uh, the arts. And I also have my own podcast, Inclusive Storytelling, where I focus in on for this season on what inclusivity looks like in the arts and the arts being music, comedy, entertainment, all of it. And I also wrote a book uh, a year ago, it launched and it's uh, how to write inclusively. And it really focuses in on the, I, I also named it how to write inclusively an analysis and how to guide because I when I, there's tons of books on how to write in terms of screenwriting, but very little on how to remove tropes and harmful stereotypes in your writing, which unfortunately for you know the decades I've been alive, I've seen in all the content that I've ever watched or listened to. And so I was like, I, there needs to be a guidebook on how to write inclusively. And so I wrote that, you know, if you don't find it, you gotta write it. And so that's what I did. So that's a little bit about me. No, I think that's great too. And I need to pick it up and check it out. Cause the, the thing is that, you know, we do, I do see a lot of screenwriting books, even podcasts, even in movies or even just master classes. But, you know, to be honest, it's a lot of white people telling about us about how to write screenplays and just doesn't, you know, always fit. I've definitely heard white screenplayers. I heard someone say this, the Chinese railroad road is not a story. <gasps> yeah. On the podcast. And I was like, whoa. Whoa. Nah, I just I stopped listening after that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an automatic off. Wow. Yeah. That's horrific. It was bad. So I mean, there is so much to be learned, especially in, it's like an, it's a new space. Like, let's be real. It's you know, we've been trying to people have been trying to work with it and include in, be inclusive and, and build that momentum, but only recently has it been, you know, something that we can learn, ex- experience, chat with other people about and make an industry of how to how to be not even just inclusive, but just to be aware of other people and give other people different chances and different stories because other and things spaces. matter. Spaces yeah. to thrive, 100%. A lot of places. So, you know, what what built you? You said you didn't, have, there was no book like this, so you wrote it yourself. But, you know, what was kind of this impetus to, to start it, to get it going, and what kept you driving to make it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I already am an anti-racism, anti-oppression educator. I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And so I already had that mindset. And so when I decided firmly I was going to be in the arts and doing this work, I was coming at it with this lens already of social justice. And so when I saw the gap, it just made sense. I was like, this needs to be told. These stories need to, you know, the ability for people to know how to write inclusively is so important. One, because of the harm that I've seen for so long and and people are, I think, finally really in mass. And I think social media helps with this, being able to be like, "Uh, no, this is not okay. Why is this happening? And it's just not skin deep. You know, I think about, I think it was the witches with Anne Hathaway being able to say her character, unfortunately, they didn't do the research, but she played this character with like three fingers. And it's actually a a disability. It is something that uh, people are born with. And it was this harmful stereotype that somehow because somebody looks like this, that they're evil, that they aren't uh, a good person. And it's perpetuating this horrific stereotype about people with disabilities, especially somebody with this particular type of uh, disability. And people were calling it out. And, you know, Anne Hathaway ended up apologizing. And that's the power. And so that's what helps me is that I think we're now in a space where, one, people want a lot of different type of content, that they're tired of the reboots or the reboots that are the same as the original. It's like, where's the original story? Or they want reboots where there's different uh, cultural nuances to the characters. So somebody's can be cast that may not have been traditionally cast and it's still a cool story, but they're bringing in their authentic self. They're bringing in a different lens to the storytelling, but it's still holding true to the reboot. Or people just want fresh new content where they can learn and learn about other cultures. You know, we think about Never Have I Ever, where it's season two. And that one's culturally specific. And then we also see shows like Shadow and Bone and Sex Education, where we have incredibly different types of people that are cast. And it's just a human story, many human stories. And I love that. And that's where that really, I think right now we're in a space, especially with social media, where even though in the past we've said a lot, I think the movement and the acknowledgement uh, that people really want this content and won't settle for content that doesn't speak to them it is where people are um, putting their focus in and social media helps move that. And so that's, I wanted to make my contribution to that so that we, we have not just one book, right? We can have many books that can really move us to a space to be much more inclusive. And that way we have the option of telling different stories, like the stories you do, like culturally specific to just having different people cast in human stories every and everything in between. Yeah, I really resonate with that and agree. One second, my audio on the Zencaster just isn't showing up. I mean, I'm recording it on the. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Right. Now Sometimes it, it does that. I don't like. You can't see it at all. Sometimes you can. That's I haven't recorded on the audition. Just needs a backup. So we'll see. I'll do a click. Yeah. So I mean, there. Yeah. I think there's so many different people because the world is so diverse. The world is filled with every type of people, every every ability, every race, every color, background, childhood. That you can't just religion age all of it people disability sexual orientation yeah at the very least like the the thought process behind someone's actions is really different because they're either come up with intergenerational trauma whatever they grow up with uh, their decisions within every every 
thing besides maybe like a test answer, <laughs> like a math test for a high school student. That's about it. Like everybody has a different perspective on life and what their parents teach them, what they don't teach them and, and how, uh, how they have to grow up in, within different spaces to see them on screen, to see people on screen have different ways. It just makes, not only makes me want to go see more, but I, it makes them normalized. I think there's a space of this is, these are not people and demonized for whatever they are. They're not tropes. They're not stereotypes of different things. I think that's, that's, yeah. Thank yeah. you for writing that. Cause that's what we, we that's what we can start learning too. Cause I think screenwriting has kind of just been a thing that's been around for ages, but now it's how, how to write better people, better diverse yeah. people, better have, characters, mm -hmm. better situations, better stories, better how, settings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how even producers, and just for screenwriters, but for producers to see yeah. this is yeah. how stories could be told. Right. Exactly. I think that's, that's a, it's a big way. So I'd love to ask you about your, your South Asian identity. So what, how do you describe yourself in, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, first and foremost, it's interesting. I, I half joke about this, but I identify as a woman. That's, I'm a cisgender woman and I identify as a woman first. And the reason why I say that is when I wake up in the morning, I got to go to the bathroom. So the first thing that happens to me in the morning is I'm like, I'm a woman. Now, how the world sees me when I walk out, now they might see me as a South Asian Indian. And that's, you know, and I, I, I also caution myself when I use the term South Asian Indian, just because it's colloquial, but it, it isn't the name that we have given ourselves as South Asians. And so I'm still using a colonizer word. So at this point, you know, it's like, I, I'll go with South Asian woman, but a woman from the Indian diaspora, ethnically and culturally, I was also born in Fiji. So I also have Pacific Islander and island culture. So, you know, it's again, right? What you see may not be what you get. So I think that's a whole mix. And I, I am definitely uh, taking back my uh, South Asian identity growing up in Canada. It was, even though there was people that looked like me, the dominant culture was still very much European. And I would not want to be as partaking in the Indian culture. So even though I ate food at home, I wouldn't dress as much in the uh, traditional clothing. I wouldn't watch Bollywood movies. Uh, I still don't really. I do enjoy Bollywood movies. I think it's they're amazing. It's just I've, I'm slowly as I reclaim, and I know that you're doing a lot of reclamation as well, my identity and who I am and not put it as a, a secondary, that I want to have my identity be first and foremost as an Indian woman, as a Pacific Islander woman, because that's what really uh, makes me. And then I'm living in North America and that's part of my culture as well. And just to have a, that cultural and ethnic understanding and be able to show that to folks and that, you know, being folks just see me as an Indian woman. That's not, that's not how I identify myself. That's what the world may identify myself to be. And what's interesting is I went to India about 19 years ago and I was traveling with a group and an Indian man from India was like, where is she from? To my fellow travel mate and my travel mate was like, she's from India. And he goes, no, she doesn't walk like an Indian. So you know how like multi-ethnic people will say they don't belong in other group and people will say, oh, they're not like us because they're multi-ethnic or biracial. I, it's interesting, you know, when somebody sees you where you're ethnically from, but they're like, no, she's not from here. 
So it's just re reclaiming that in different parts. And I think it's also important to understand that there can be judgments, right? Oh, well, she's not really that Indian. But what does that really mean? And I think just being able to understand that the people are in different parts of their journeys of their identities and learning, and it's fluid. I think And when I teach my anti-racism and diversity courses, we talk about fluidity, we talk about intersectionality. And so fluidity being how we define ourselves changes, you know, and for me, it's change, you know, being more North American when I was younger, to not really reclaiming being South Asian, um, and understanding what it means to be a woman and embracing my femininity, that's changed and that's evolved. And I think we need to be open to that and to be able to show that uh, in our screens, I think is so important in our media and understanding that for ourselves, I think is super powerful. And also that I am a woman of color. I am a woman of South Asian descent and that intersectionality is really important. And, you know, I, I would, I laughed to myself. I was like, yay, I didn't, I didn't go to school and I didn't major in medicine or technology, but I have been a, a person in IT and healthcare. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just you know, didn't escape the stereotype, but I remember being like, I'm a philosophy major. Like I'm not the stereotype. Just knowing that everything's fluid. And I think it's, it's powerful for us to show that. And that only comes right on, especially if we talk about media, movies, or TV, if a character is given what was given to some white characters, character development, three-dimensionality, and that they are going to change and we can show that to ourselves. I think that's so important. Like I started Grace and Frankie because I wanted to see a show with folks that are older and, gen and that generation, but I was severely disappointed by season three because they have two brothers that are adopted by the main couple. And there was a storyline with the white or white passing character about being adopted and the black brother in the show, the uh, adopted brother, but the black character was not given a similar story line. Mm. Now, maybe in, in later seasons that that character was, I just, I'm just not there yet, but right. it was just upsetting to see the white character get that really powerful adoptee storyline, finding their birth mother, whereas the black character didn't have a strong of a storyline. Like the strongest storyline was that he's uh, dating somebody, at least in season three. And that's just disappointing. And that's what, you know, I wonder when people create these shows is like, why are you not also giving this really pivotal, great storyline to the non-white actor? Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, <laughs> it just, it bothers me. <laughs> it really bothers because, me, yeah. Because even if, it's, even if it's later in later seasons, you didn't do it in the beginning, right? And then right. You did, people fall off like yourself or you just didn't put them... You don't have to be at the forefront, but like side by side, they could have had the same storylines at the yeah. same time, but two different methods of ways of happening. And, or accepting. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Could have been, yeah. you know, like could have been so much. Or even when the white character found the black character, couldn't be like, you know what? I'm ready to find my birth mm -hmm. parent. Like, you know, and Easy. carry on that arc. Yeah. So, but that's also part of it, right? Is that you and I see these things. Mm -hmm. And we need people who see those and can get into it very quickly before it ends up being a problem or somebody who's going to see it and see it as a problem or who's already coming in with these ideas and be like, okay, let's make sure that we are creating great characters and great storylines for everybody that's involved in this production. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it makes people feel seen and you'd get more audience. I don't know. It's just 100%. Now you said that you, you've, you've come back into your, your identity and you're really in, in embracing it nowadays. What made that change? What was that? Was there a moment or an idea, uh, someone telling you something that you said, 
I need to explore this. I need to reclaim this identity for myself. Was there a moment that, that you had to you really change? I can't say there was a moment. It's just been momentum yeah. where I've been thinking about things. And so I used to go by Ash and you. some folks will still call me by that and I'm totally fine with it. It's like a nickname, but it was a nickname that was given in college because people w- couldn't pronounce my first name properly and I got frustrated with it and I got tired of correcting people. And so it's like, yeah, sure, Ash, you know, Ash 20 Ash. Um, so it's just been a recognition of that. And just slowly as the world's been unfolding and definitely in the last um, couple of years, when I, before George Floyd, I was looking at my name and I was like, you know what? I want to embrace it. And especially as I go down this path in entertainment, I don't want it to be a white name. I want it to be my name. And so that's where I was like, now everybody in entertainment knows me by my full name versus a nickname because it's choosing that. So I would say it's been this like, no, I don't want it. And then realizing in my 20s and then moving on about how powerful my culture from India is. And it's a long lasting culture. And I also thought about there's so many people who love it and like weren't born into it. And the things I take for granted, the nuances that people have to learn and people are like all about it. They're traveling and learning. Why don't I have that same appreciation? And so it's just been that reckoning and that understanding in the last like 15 years, I would say, that's just kind of built up to this where I'm like, no, I want to reclaim it. I want to understand it. And I want to make sure that people are saying my name correctly because it means the healer of the gods. That's Mm -hmm. what my first name means. And, you know, it's like, it's a cool name. And my middle name is about song. And so it's important for people, for us, I think, to all understand our names and what they mean, no matter where they come from and how they relate to this. And I think that's super powerful. And like, you know, people change their name, right? Why they're choosing a certain name and the meaning behind it, I think is so important. Yeah, not only reclaiming that name and and taking it for yourself because it's your name. I think it's also powerful to have it heard. You know, when someone says your name properly, it just feels, oh, I feel seen. Uh, I feel like that was someone's listening into that part. And then, you know, at the same time as, as we're reclaiming names, for people to learn the name. There's no excuse yeah. to not learn it anymore. If we can learn a lot of new languages and say new words like Netflix and Hulu, who just didn't exist before, we can always learn new pronunciations and new exactly. languages, you know, it's just exactly. that it's open up the real world, so. Yeah, exactly. And you know, in Clubhouse, they, they have now have it as a best practice where you phonetically spell out your name. So there's no excuse if you can read the English language and people can do that in other languages, right? You speak it, you write it out phonetically according to that language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we, now, you and I have talked about the studio system, the diversity programs, you know, just how the industry is, you know, just not getting it right <laughs> for the most, you know, no. just say it lightly. But what is, you know, in, in your opinion and your expertise, what, what are studios getting right and what can they do better? Gosh, what are they getting right? Well, I would say recently, and especially I will say with my eye, so it's not like I have 20, 25 years in this industry type of experience. What I've seen recently, which they're getting right, is that they're actually promoting people into leadership positions to help create the narrative um, about, oh, well, just because you didn't understand it doesn't mean there's a whole other group of people that can understand these stories. Uh, my my hope is that we are not getting people who aren't representative, right? Just because somebody looks a certain way does not mean that they're an advocate. And so I, my ho- I'm hopeful 
that we have people that are getting into these leadership positions within studios that are actually going to be advocates for creating content that speaks to many different people. So I think that that is something that's getting right. What can they do better so much? Because frankly, this is what I think a true reckoning, right? Like in the last year we've had after in North America with George Floyd's murder, and around the world is that you've probably been in these rooms, David, in Clubhouse, where people are like, oh, well, we've always been diverse. And then I look at their IMDb page and I'm like, wait, you had literally white centered and, and a lot of times white male centered shows. And then people would be like, but we had diverse people. Yeah, you had them as reoccurring characters or you had them as special guests. And I can't tell you how many times I'll look and to see and, you know, it's like, how many of these different non-white characters did you have there that are only reoccurring or guest stars and you killed them brutally on screen and they were the only characters that were killed off like that. Whereas you look at it and you compare it to the white characters or they're kind of off screen. And so this bias and this idea of people and their humanity or lacking humanity in your mind frames comes into this. And so I think it's people need to have a very very honest conversations about themselves that they haven't been doing well. Because if you as a studio executive were doing well, we wouldn't be having this conversation about a lack of representation in Hollywood and how we need people throughout the entire production, from production to development to story that need to be representative and have different voices in all the different areas. If you were really doing this, we wouldn't be talking about this, especially in, in Canada and the United States. I can't speak for other industries like I just know with Bollywood very light-skinned but I don't know who like what diversity they have in their rooms so at least speaking for North America you know we wouldn't be having these conversations if you were actually doing something right studio executive executive and so I think studio executives need to not I think I know they need to really look at themselves and be like you know what I haven't been doing well I have not been uh, telling these authentic stories. I have not really pushed the envelope in terms of making sure different people's voices are there or that there's human characters and advocating for many different types of people to become stars so that we can have the name behind them. And then having that honest conversation with themselves and going, what am I going to do better? And looking to people like us of how we do better. So I think that's what needs to happen. And I, frankly, I'm not seeing the people who have been in the industry for very long, really having these honest conversations with themselves and then having actions to be more inclusive and in showing the representation. Yeah. Uh, and I really agree with that statement is, is the whole, but we have, <laughs> it, <laughs> right. it, but we have this, we have that person like, yeah, but then I wouldn't be asking about it. Right? Yeah. I wouldn't be pointing it out. I wouldn't be talking because there can be someone in the CEO position who looks like me, who looks like us, but really no one else around them looks like them to yeah. have those same conversations. I think there was a study like if you're the only one in the room and if you perpetually stay in that, that position, you start to forget that mm -hmm. you're not that identity. You just exactly. become, you disassociate that your identity because no one's talking about it. There is no okay. reason for anybody else to talk about it. And when you bring it up, they don't, and nobody else gets it. So yeah. then you're the, then you're the problematic person in, in the room, no matter yeah. Whether it's just friends and you're just you're just different. Uh, you yeah. pointed out the difference in you, so that becomes an issue. And I think that's that's something that needs to keep you know keep changing and keep growing. That we have to more people in there, but not even just one person to represent us in that room. It's like two or three people, and if the room has to grow, then the room has to grow. 
It doesn't mean that it's uh, taken away from anybody. It just means new perspectives, new ideas, and and just that belong there. That yeah. also are as capable as anybody else. I think mm-hmm. we need to get rid of any type of notion of a diversity hire because what that automatically says to some people with their bias is that they're not good enough. They're just hired because of a characteristic that they have. And that's not true. It's about that people absolutely have the skill sets and then putting them into a room where they can shine because what's happening, unfortunately, we both know this, is that when, for example, just BIPOC, okay, I'm not even talking about age, I'm not even talking about disabilities, right? It's just if we look at it through Black, Indigenous, people of color, when these folks are the one writer and in the room surrounded by white writers and they speak up against like, you know, no, this is wrong. This is stereotypical. This is not right. They are discounted and then they're let go from their positions. You know, the problematic person when they're speaking up against injustice and these tropes that we don't want to see. And so that needs to change and that mentality needs to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see it too often that just people will call something out and maybe they don't do it the the nicest way or the mm-hmm. whatever way that you want to bring it up but at the same time that that opinion matters and to discredit it just to discredit because you don't agree doesn't mean it doesn't exist right exactly and what are your biases right if you haven't lived that experience mm-hmm. and what can you do to be humble and be like oh okay yeah let's change this up this would you know one, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person that's perpetuating a harmful stereotype. Like, mm-hmm. can we lead with that? And then listen to the person that might have that experience. And, you know, and like you said, we got to have different groups, different people, because I'm not going to represent all of India. That's not who I am. I'm not here to represent that. But it's good to have many different voices. And and also those advocates, those folks that are white, you know, next to us that understand it, that can speak up with us and also challenge us, right? Because just because we're part of a certain group doesn't mean we don't hold our own biases. So let's have these conversations and then make really rich, really great stories because I love it when I'm learning. Like I, I lift up shows like Sex Education and Shadow and Bone. Are they perfect? No, absolutely not. Uh, do I like the casting? Yes, I do. And so when I can see these stories, especially with sex education, like I've been waiting for the two seasons now where somebody's going to make some, you know, race and ethnicity comment and talk about how they're moving forward. And, and it's just like, it's not there. They're doing it just by the storytelling. They're showing the diversity and inclusion just by a story. And it's mm-hmm. great. And it's centered by around a white male. It, it is also coming out of the UK. So I kind of see that. But the other characters are getting a lot of screen time. And, and we get a lot of great character building from that. And it's like, that's what I want to see. That's what I like about it. And so I'm able to watch these shows. And it's just pure entertainment. And I know that they're, they're tackling this really sensitive topic. And they have a really great cast and really great characters. And it's like, cool, like, this is what I'm looking for. This is more of what I would love to see. Yeah, it's not hitting the head on the on the hammer on the head. Just like, here it is. There's racial issues. No, just (laughs) real characters going through life having different things and having full realized three dimensional characters. You know, that's, that's, that's all we're asking for. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, because I I see these, you know, like Bridgerton was great up until literally, like, I like it. 
But there was 10 minutes, like, or even less, where the Duke and the other woman, the other Black woman who's uh, very high up there, have a conversation and she's talking about how, you know, we didn't get here and we're finally in these positions and, you know, we've risen above uh, what people thought of us in terms of our skin color. And I remember just being like, oh, really? You were doing so great. Like, honestly, for me, I didn't need that because I saw what they were doing throughout the entire season. But, you know, even today, you know, months later after I've seen it, yes, I enjoy that show. And it's, I know it's good. It's not for everybody, but I enjoyed it. But that one scene just was, I was like, wah, wah, wah. Okay, yeah. here we go. Now we're talking about this. And I, sometimes I just want to zone out. So why not just let me zone out and see a whole plethora of different people uh, and not just skin deep, right? Different ages, different, dis- uh, different abilities, disabilities, different religions, all of it. And let's tell a really cool story that's going to keep me coming back season after season. I, I haven't watched it, but you know, describing that season, do you think that it, that scene was definitely made for white audiences by a, a white person? I don't know. It was Shonda Rhimes. I would imagine she might have had a different if she wasn't writing it or I can't remember if she wrote all of the episodes. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Right. And I don't know about that. And I think maybe if different people needed that, that they needed that scene. I want to be more of a space where it's like, let's just let the characters and the good stories tell the story. And if you want to write, you know, like the work you do, right? Like talk about the uh, Japanese internment or some of the work I do, tell that story too. But if you're going to tell a human centered story, just, just let the characters flow and let the story tell uh, what you need. You know, we know the history or we should know the history of enslavement in, in North America and how different folks would not have been dukes for example, or a duchess, right? And we see this reimagining, which I think is fantastic. Let that tell, let that lead. But I I know, and I balance this with my script writing because I'm like, in some of my screenplays, I'm like, how much do I bring in of my, the cultural nuance that people will be able to understand? But I still want to honor, right? My experiences, which aren't going to be known by everybody outside of some Indian communities. And this is where, like, never have I ever, they said that we needed a narrator. And that's where they got John Macarno because of him being able to narrate the nuances. And so this is where it's a balance of, like, what do I do to, in my scripts, to hold steady to these cultural nuances, but make sure that other groups can understand the nuances that I'm trying to portray that's so important and crucial for the, my characters and the stories that I'm trying to tell. Yeah. Now, talking about, you know, nuances and, and, you know, the dimensions of characters, you know, in South Asian and Indian cultures and, and people on screen, what, what are the conversations being had? I know there's obviously these tropes and, and stereotypes that we've seen multiple times, but is there something, um, you know, what are you, what are you seeing? What are the conversations you're having with other people about what's going on either in, uh, South Asian women, South Asian issues, you know, there's, and, you know, we can talk into this too, was, you know, there's, when Stop Asian Hate came out, you know, and, and all the hate crimes, the biggest, one of the other bigger issues was Asians didn't step, step up for South Asians and Muslim communities so much after 9-11, right? And there was, and there was so much, I don't know, there's such a separation and uh, segregation between the two communities that some South Asians don't even feel like they're, uh, connected in, in community with the Asian, uh, East Asian community, Southeast yeah. Asian. So yeah. what are some conversations that uh, you love know, more audiences know about and, 
and have you know and how does that how does media play into correcting those those differences and, and being full of characters yeah yeah no there that's the thing right is that when we talk about not a monolith so one asian the term itself was not something that we prescribed for ourselves we didn't call ourselves asian it was given to us by federal governments and what it did right is that i always wondered i was asian and i was like my gosh okay so what similarities do i have with somebody from cambodia like it's so different it's so distinct and so the conversations that we have is one we definitely want to see more and then especially unfortunately like we've been saying this for a really long time but now you know riz ahmed has been really um pushing what he's seeing right and making sure that especially the atrocity that happened in london ontario and canada just in the last what two three months uh targeted killing of a muslim family that what do you think is going to happen when you put people just in terrorist roles in the movies and in your TV shows, and they look um, like they're quote unquote from the Middle East, which now we want to say North Africa or Southwest Asia. What do you think is going to happen, right? That's the power of media. That's the power of when people get the content from only one area. So, you know, there's a lot of, because we're not a monolith, there's a lot of work within our communities that we need to do to heal. And we need to recognize that. We also need to help uh, get our parents and our grandparents and our uncles and aunts on board in terms of what solidarity looks like. You know, we don't we we don't talk often enough, and maybe this is just something that maybe white folks don't understand. Is that you know, there's a lot of people who will say really horrible things uh, about dark-skinned people who will say from Japan who will say really horrible things about people from India, and the stereotypes that are perpetuated there. And we we talk about that, right? And we're we have this conversation and it's actually a debate, I would say, from what I've read and what I've seen with people as people are like, should we really be convincing the generations that don't want to listen or do we want to make that mark with ourselves? And then there's also this idea of that I've seen people don't want to, young people, old people, they don't want to change. They, they have their ideas about a certain group and they perpetuate it. And then also we have to think about, you know, within ourselves, within our communities, there's hierarchies. So my sister is a lot more lighter skinned. And I, I say this when I teach my classes, you know, around diversity and my, the word that's used to describe in the Hindi that I grew up with, she, the word to describe her is called, is the same word to describe clean. And so lighter skinned people have, there's a hierarchy that lighter skinned is better. And so the same word to, that's used to describe a clean is the same word to describe her, whereas uh, describe me is like that darker. And, you know, we have to be honest about ourselves and we should have those conversations. And then there's, you know, people are like, yeah, within the South Asian community, they were like, oh, well, as a Chinese person, we don't have to care about that, which is horrific. Like, I can't even imagine, right? That's, it's not okay. It's just not okay. And so I think it is what we can do to bridge those divides, have these conversations and be honest and have, you know, be honest about our biases and stop being spaces where we're going to make excuses about stereotypes, like about how somebody drives, right? The horrible stereotypes that come out and being able to say, stop laughing about that. It's not funny. It's not true. You are choosing to perpetuate something that you wouldn't want put onto you or your family. So why are you doing this? And then, you know, not everybody's going to listen. You have to accept that and just work with the folks who do want to listen. And I think there's a lot of us. And I, I see it definitely in the teens and I see it in the folks that are in their early 20s. 
um, there's a difference. There's a different vibe. I think there's a much more empathetic and understanding vibe than I ever saw in my generation when I was that age. And so we need to heal, of course, as a group and as a community, and we need to heal within our communities as well. Yeah. And that, that intergenerational divide is huge in this area. And I, I've had mm-hmm. rights of people all the time. And I think it's just, you know, they don't want to change their minds and I understand, but at the same time, the world is changing. I'm sorry that the world is changing around you and you don't <laughs> want to change, but right. you know, it's the thing. I think in what you said about, you know, the teens, the, the kids nowadays who are really, you know, making a difference, make and making a huge change in society for themselves and for the future. I think it's part of uh, media and technology, mm. right? We're seeing each other. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Yeah. We're sharing things. We see videos. People are talking to each other. We have these podcasts. My parents aren't doing Zencast or <laughs> podcasting things. Like they're just right. not. They're watching, you know, the news that they're given on the TV, uh-huh. right? It's whatever's right. on the programming. Maybe it's right. Netflix. And it depends on what Netflix is showing, whatever mm-hmm. Hulu is showing. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, what's advertised to them? in on based on their likes and what they've watched before so to make a conscious change it takes some effort but and have those conversations but and that's the thing yeah it's like you hit you're hitting the nail on the head i'll say that's about conscious change do you really Mm -hmm. want to change right and there's folks that don't and for me it's like okay well where am i going to put my time and my value of my energy to to people And it's going to be the people that really want to listen because, you know, when it comes to inclusion and again, not skin deep, I am not here to convince anybody. I really am not. You need to be in a space where you're open to learning and it's okay if you don't know, just be open to different learnings, different ways, different understandings, and that we're also just human beings. And I think that that's the piece that you said, conscious change. How many people really want to make this conscious change? And that's where we begin. And those are the folks that I want to interact with. The other folks, you know, I wish you well, right? Because (laughs) until you want to do that, until like the studio executives want to change, until people who, you know, fund different content want to change, it's just what's, where are we, right? We, at this point, we shouldn't be having a conversation that we need more inclusivity. It's about how, Hmm. and that's where we need to focus in on. Yeah. It's not the need. It's the how. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how are we, and who who is being who's telling that right yeah. it's not going to wipe wipe gaze in any way you know yeah. I, that, that whole kanji thing last last week was pissing me off yeah, yeah it's, it's just like it keeps happening right so even just yeah. storytelling i see it all the time yeah, yeah it's, it's it takes a lot of effort to change your mind it takes a lot of mm-hmm. deep diving thinking even some meditation you know people who don't meditate just like thinking like i'm i'm wrong like, right and, and accepting it that yeah. you know what maybe i was wrong maybe yeah. there's something i was told mm-hmm. that was wrong and i accepted it for so long mm-hmm. because you know my friends accepted it but then that means you have to reject your friends yeah maybe yeah. maybe not maybe you yeah. can help them change maybe you can see different ways or you start to yeah. see that your friends maybe you don't like what their ideas are anyways but you just accepted it because they're close mm-hmm. to you you mm-hmm. you're loyal to them mm-hmm. and i don't think you know i don't think it's fair to be old if you don't believe in the same things you know? well, yeah and like i mentioned right that fluidity you can change mm-hmm. you can yeah. change as a person and 
why not be around people who are going to uplift you and help challenge you in, in great ways and have and be open, you know, and learn from other people? What's your what's your moral imperative to treat others well, like really treat them well, not how you think they should be treated, because I get that a lot. And it's like, mm. no, you aren't treating me the way I need to be treated. You're not lo you're loving me in the way you love, but you're not loving me in the way I need to be loved. Because mm. you're voting against me. You're literally voting against my right to live. You're literally saying things that are incredibly hurtful. That's not love. I don't know what that is. That's self. That's being selfish. And mm -hmm. so if you can open your heart and your mind to, yeah, like loving somebody and understanding what love looks for them, that's amazing. What I mean, imagine if we did that around, not even in media. Imagine if we did that in just in general, right? And appreciated things and people, how amazing that would be. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's different. Again, going back to that, everybody's different in different ways. We treat each other differently and where we want to be treated is sometimes hard to express. But at yeah. the same time, you know, when you when you can find that out for yourself, then you can express it to other people. Well, then, for me, yeah, don't call me a packy. Like that should be very, very basic. Mm -hmm. And if you want to say that's funny or think that's funny or, or like, you know, move that type of needle forward, that's not okay. It's not okay. And we, that's again, right. we exactly what you're saying. Are you willing to look deep, deep down inside of you of the things that you haven't done and stop being defensive and really be able to be like, okay, I need to make a change. Now I, I want to go and learn from people one that I'm going to compensate or are compensated for my learning or go out and figure some stuff out of my own. And also, um, I know some folks and their, their, their goal is to remove exclusion by familiarity. And it's like, yeah, you know, you can exclude if you don't know other people, if you don't hang out with other groups. And that I think that's, that's the piece is that who else is around you that you could have a conversation about or learn from that's different from everybody that you grew up in or who you saw on the media or who you, your favorite shows and what you can do to change and support that right and uh, be able to use your power and privilege because we all have that now with our social media accounts how are you going to use that what's your choice you have your choice in the matter of how you're going to use your power and your privilege and is it going to be in support of other people or is it going to be in selfishness and denounce and continue denouncing people you know what type of person do you want to be i think that's the important conversation you need to have with yourself and a, an answer that you need to put for yourself yeah it's hard it's hard it's a hard mm -hmm. conversation with your own self <laughs> exactly exactly but that's where you need to start mm -hmm. well in this whole new hollywood world that we're building <laughs> tables and and doing no <laughs> really to build those tables yeah yeah well, we're building them just one peg at a time yeah you know what what does a building what does building the table look like for you for me, it means just having a whole one. I want to make sure that everybody has equal access to all the parts that make a table, how you how you build it, how the materials, putting something that's sturdy together. Everybody needs to have equal access to that. And so that's where it starts. And then if you're building that table, yeah, the, you know, do you have where a chair can be accommodated easily? Do you have things where they're for different heights? Who's at your table? I'm not interested in having people who look like me at the table. I'm interested in having many different people from various backgrounds, from various ages, sexual orientations. I want to see, you know, somebody who may identify as a cisgender male with a beard and is wearing a skirt or is wearing a dress. I want to see all those people at my table. 
So it is about equity, right? Does everybody know how to build this table, get the right sourcing, get a good sturdy table? And then how many people can we accommodate, right? And what that looks like. And, and you know, we there's times where we may not agree. Like I remember when I was doing this, I was first learning about what equity looked like in the conversation. And the question was, well, if you're going to be inclusive, does that mean that you're going to invite, invite a KKK member to your table? And if you answer it in terms of inclusion, the answer is yes. So that's what that table looks like. But I think it's an extra conversation to stay at the table means that you're not trying to perpetuate it harm and that you're not being somebody who's going to be unhealthy and toxic and create an environment where you're hurting others. I think we need to draw that line, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we can talk about inclusion and inclusion truly means everybody. That's literally, that's what, what it means. So you need to have the additional conversation of what harm looks like and what you will allow and what you won't allow at that table. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that too. Because if, if, you, if you exclude, if you exclude that part of the conversation, those people, one, they're going to feel excluded and that doesn't feel right either. Yeah. But, but to that degree, you want to see that perspective as well. And what can that perspective teach you so that you can help them teach about yourself exactly. in different different ways because yeah everybody's got opinions everybody's got rights to share them and in lives that they've lived and you know learning from their parents that's the biggest thing we all learn things from our parents because they teach us different things and that's we're successful and we're still alive today mm-hmm. partially because of that but then yeah. it starts to feel very difficult when you have to say well my parents were wrong yeah. and and and, right. and you don't want to say that you're wrong you just want to say oh my parents are always you know they raised me they raised me right and then to think that maybe they didn't raise me the same way that i i am now it's hard hard to make that make that decision for yourself but that's how we develop that's how we become different people yeah Mm -hmm. how we can grow as we grow yeah and we don't have to stick to one ideal we can actually change our minds Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so is, is there anything else you'd like to add to this conversation that you know, we haven't talked over? I think, you know, just, yeah, in general, just keeping an open mind for folks, you know, and, and if you really want to see and hear stories, let that be. And I think one thing that I see in social media a lot, and we're seeing this as, as different casting happens. So I'll say, you know, be honest, right? Like, you see non-white characters like Dev Patel has now played David Copperfield and is playing a King Arthur type. And people will talk about this. Well, you know, how are we staying true? And, you know, we talk about, okay, well, there's, uh, these are fictional characters, so anybody can play them, et cetera. And, you know, I want to get us to the point where we don't have to have these conversations where I say this in my book is uh, when we look at casting like Little Mermaid, right? Yes, it's a fictional character. And if we truly wanted to stay original to the context, we wouldn't have a black person playing the Little Mermaid. But what's important is, yes, we want to stay true, right? Like with uh, Scarlett Johansson, the ghost in the shell, right? Look, people, because you can say, well, if you want something that's close to the original, then we shouldn't be redoing Little Mermaid or King Arthur, okay? And so I'm like, yes, but we're not there yet. So we've had so much whitewashing. It's kind of nice to see different people play these characters. And I like to get to the point where one, either we stay true to the original 
text, if it's a fictional item, because we have so much other stories and other representation. And then I also want to get to the point where when somebody is cast, that we don't even have to talk about it. We're like, okay, cool. We got a black little mermaid because we've had lots of white other <laughs> mermaids. We've had some Asian little mermaids, you know, like it's all there so that we can have, we don't have to talk about, are we sticking true to this uh, text and who's played it? We need to, we need to build equity because we've had so much whitewashing and look, it's uh, unfortunately Hollywood is ripe with this whitewashing. We need to build equity. And this is what we're doing right now with the casting with the Dev Patels and the Black Little Mermaids, you know, Chloe being in there. This is what we're doing to build equity because we haven't seen it for so long. Once we truly have meritocracy and we have equity, then we can have the conversation about who can be passed, who can be cast based off of merit. We're not there yet. So these reimagining where we have more inclusive casts or these ideas of having a fictional character and having a different person play it than the original text, then we can be there because for far too long, we've had too many uh, whitewashing moments and we've only seen a monolith being represented on our screens. So seeing this diversity for now to build equity and then have the conversation about meritocracy is where I would like us to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's the other part too, is that, you know, I feel like people of color and every, every underrepresented community has always been subjected to besides secondary roles and, and stereotyped roles and stuff like that. We're never able to play in the roles that are classics, right? Yeah. Like Romeo and yeah. Juliet. I've heard yeah. friends say like, uh, they won't, you'll never be Romeo because you're Asian. Mm. Like, why well, not? like, why not? We've had how many times has that play been over and over again? <laughs> yes. That we can change it. We can have something totally different. You know, it's they're gonna make more. It's not the last one. It's not the only yeah. one. Yeah. You know, we can have so many different Hamilton, uh, Macbeth, all the all the old classics and old. Not even when I say you think I think old classics, like they're all written by old white men, mm-hmm. like. Where are other stories, right? Exactly, because I'm thinking, what about the, you know, Japanese Romeo and Juliet? You can't tell mm-hmm. me there isn't a Japanese ver not like Romeo and Juliet, but yeah, like but totally. Romeo and Juliet-esque that's been written by an Indian person, a Japanese person, a Chinese person. I know I want to see that story as well, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. do a great compare and contrast if you want, or just enjoy that story. Let's see that, right? It's always it's always seems to come from Britain or one area of this world. But what about the rest of the world that has really rich stories? And then I also want to see, you know, people with disabilities. I want to see people of various ages. I want to see people of diff- various gender expressions, sexual orientations, all of it, because it's not just skin deep, right? When we talk about diversity and, and inclusion. So I want to see all these different groups. I think it's so important for us to to do that. And that works. And and even though storytellers, unfortunately, you know, screenplays, folks and scriptwriters, they're really low on the totem pole when it comes to production and development. Mm -hmm. But the stories start there. And so that's where it's important to have it throughout from the storytelling to the development, to the production, to the casting, to the first day, the last day on set to have many different perspectives and then also making sure, especially when you come to production, that you have directors and executives that are willing to have the conversation because they're the ones that end up with the, that have the say for the final product and just making sure that we have those spaces where people can be informed, especially when they're doing things that are really offensive and horrible or not representative. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And having those directors and producers also just be so aware and willing to have the conversation with their crew Yeah, that yeah. the crew doesn't have, you know, sexual harassment problems. I heard one this mm-hmm. week and I was just, it made me so mad that yeah. this person was just so stressed and yeah. crying because of what a crew member did yep. and how it just wasn't, it's not being fixed yep. and nothing was really happening about it. So to be in those spaces, it makes people not want to be in those spaces and not want to join back. It creates trauma and, yep. and exclusion. So you, just to have you know producers hold their crew accountable, hold everybody accountable for making people feel like they can be in spaces, whether you're yeah yeah. And I I say this, and it's interesting when I say this to male identifying folks, but I'm in a private Facebook group and at least twice a month, there is another story of somebody who is a woman identifying or female identifying person who is being sexually harassed. And I, when I say this to, to males or a male identifying people, they're like, what? And I'm like, yes. And it's because you're not in this private Facebook group because you aren't being told how mm-hmm. horrible it is for this particular group in the industry, you don't know about it. And because you either um, ignore it or you haven't had to face discrimination, um, sexism, misogyny, you don't know about it, but it exists. Because I know in this Facebook group that I'm on that I'm reading this constantly. Literally, on average, there's probably tw- twice in a month in this private Facebook group uh, about women in entertainment. I won't say the group where people are talking about unfairness and all the things that they had. And then what's horrific is that you have this one posting and then you have like 80 other comments of people who are like, yeah, I've been there. This is what happened. (laughs) And it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Not only is that, is it just horrible in itself, but just and demeaning, but just that it keeps perpetually happening. Like when is it going to stop? Yeah, that's exactly. the thing. Like, and men need to hold the other men accountable. Yeah, but I think a part of it is that we, like, again, I heard this 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 story to you know yesterday, and I don't hear it very often. We don't expose that to me. I know it happens, but I don't. It isn't. It's not mm-hmm. a conversation you bring up all the time, right. especially with other men. So it feels weird. But like, so, but then I also don't know who you know. I don't see it in the act. If I see it in the act happening, I'm going to say something. I step in and do something. I've been yeah. there. Yeah. But like it's always like the one guy and with a girl and they're all in separate areas. Mm-hmm. So you don't, and then they mm-hmm. don't, they're not going to brag about it and they brag yeah. about it in different ways and women don't say it. So it's like, it's really hard. Mm-hmm. It's a hard space. And I, you know, all the women out there just, yeah. I don't even know what to say because yeah. what would you say? What, what mm-hmm. could men do? What, what, what can I do that mm-hmm. makes that better? Yeah. Well, one is awareness that one, it happens don't 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 go no it doesn't or it's just one-offs no it is systemic okay it happens more often than you would know or that you want to you want to acknowledge and then knowing that what are you going to do to step up so exactly like for somebody like you right if it's safe you're going to be there moment and i think that men uh, with other men identifying people you need to step up and be like this is wrong this this is not how we talk to uh, another human being and it's not how we talk to people I think that's huge and that's important. But again, as we've been talking about the thread, right, in this last almost hour we've been talking, is that self-awareness. Are you going to be like, yes, this is a problem and I'm not going to be a part of the problem? Or are you going to say, no, they're just saying they're just saying things and they're just trying to make trouble? You have to make that decision for yourself and mm-hmm. then be able to step up and change it. Change it for yourself and change it when you see it. 
because this is the thing. Once you become aware of it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere. And then it's your choice of how you're going to react. And it's important that I think definitely other people need to step up. Or when a whole bunch of people say that you are being discriminatory, you're being misogynist, instead of getting defensive, be able to say, whoa, what am I actually doing? That all these different people are saying the same thing about me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make you a bad person. This is where I think people think, oh no, they hate me or whatever. Mm. No, this is about just having an honest conversation about either being called out or called in. And I, you know, I fail every day, but I'm going to be like, okay, what can I do to be a better person tomorrow? And just being in that space of not getting defensive, but being like, maybe these 15 people have a reason of why they're saying this. And it's really consistent about what I just said, right? Mm -hmm. And what you can learn from it. So it begins with you and then make being aware and then making those uh, changes within yourself and then yeah. speaking up when you see it, because it's wrong. And, we need more men else given in that, you know, just in that discrimination space and harassment and misogyny space. We need more men saying this is not okay because frankly, women have been saying it for very long and men have chosen not to listen to us for decades, centuries. Right. Yeah. It begins with you and ends with you. You can end yes. it. it right? yeah, exactly. Thing, right? Yep. Well, thank you so much for another amazing conversation. Just so in depth and so real. <laughs> Thanks for having I me. It's perfect. So what's what's next for you? Is there anything you'd like to share? Yeah, well, I love for, for people to connect. So I'm at the inclusive screenwriter.com. That's inclusive screenwriter is also my Instagram handle. And then my I have my own podcast as well, inclusive storytelling. And so I'm excited as we were discussing kind of off air, uh, season two. So season two, which will begin in January is going to be different than season one. Uh, season one, I've been doing this, this type of conversation, what it means to be inclusive, uh, highlighting different people. But in season two, I'm going to actually focus in on uh, stories and people and groups that I really believe should be either a, a, a mini series, a limited series, or have a movie made about them. And that's going to be super exciting. I'm looking forward to that. And then I just want to, you know, continue doing my work with people who actually want to do the work and be insight, insightful for themselves and want to do the hard work of confronting their injustices that they've had in the past, whether willingly or unwillingly, and make one, create really safe spaces in the arts. That's really important for me. And then second is to tell the stories of those that have been erased or under marginalized or underrepresented in the past. I want to be a part of making those stories. So that's definitely just moving forward and then working with you and our side projects. <laughs> I feel like that. it's like at least two, right, that we have with our side yeah, projects of that needle and that degree, uh, especially around representation, especially around Asian and Pacific Islander representation uh, within Hollywood, which and I would say also, you know, there's so many spaces that we can make these movements as well in Canadian and UK cinema that us as living in the United States can influence. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going to make that change. I see it already happening. So yeah, I do. It's great. I'm hopeful. I'm actually seeing a lot. I've seen more change, I would say, in the last 18 months than I've seen, you know, in the last 18 years. Totally. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. Well, thanks so much, Ashwini, for coming out and, and just coming out, coming on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> coming out on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm going to go right back here. But thanks again. And yeah, we'll, we'll connect again, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Ashwini Prasad. If you'd like to follow Ashwini, you can find her at the various social media platforms as at the inclusive screenwriter. 
You can also listen to her podcast, Inclusive Storytelling, on any of your favorite podcast apps. And you can pick up a copy of her book, How to Write Inclusively, at the link in our show notes. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. We're still getting through the backlog of these interviews and doing our best to publish them on a weekly basis. I'm personally taking my days off to put these together, which is why it's taken over a year to publish them. If you're interested in volunteering to help with this podcast, please reach out to us at the email hello at strongasianlead.com. Thanks again for listening to Strong Asian Lead. I'm your host, Masami Moria.